welcome to the K-12 Food Rescue Podcast. I'm John Williamson, the host of the podcast and founder of K-12 Food Rescue, an organization founded in 2007, committed to empowering people to lead the food is not trash movement in their school districts. Today, I'm joined by Suzanne Lee, a faculty member, excuse me, a faculty fellow of the George J. Mitchell Center for Sustained Solutions in the University of Maine and a school food waste solution advocate. So Suzanne, welcome to the K-12 Food Rescue Podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Well, we are especially excited because uh, today's episode um, is the 28th state that we featured uh, on the podcast. So we're looking forward to hearing your story. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and maybe a little bit about the George J. Mitchell Center of Sustainability Solutions and the role you play there as a faculty fellow? Sure. Um, Let's see, my background, actually, I come to the University of Maine after over 20 years in the business world, in the consumer products industry. So I guess at one point I was creating some of the problems that we're now dealing with um, on the materials management team at the university. So um, I switched over to actually teach in the business school at the University of Maine, but I could see that my students were most interested in the sustainability issues, sustainable marketing, sustainable businesses, and frankly, I was most interested in that as well. So we have a research center at the University of Maine, the Senator uh, George J. Mitchell Center for Sustainability Solutions, and that's actually what we do. We work on sustainability solutions across a wide spectrum. Um, What makes our work unique is that we have student faculty teams that work on the projects. All of our projects that we work on are driven by stakeholders in the community, so they're not ivory tower focused, uh, you know, academic questions. We focus on the issues that are really um, paramount to the state and food waste is, you know, a key issue among those. So we've been doing this work at the, um, the Mitchell Center for or since 2015. Awesome. So, you know, in that role, you first became interested in the subject of school food waste solutions, uh, how and when and why and all that. Well, that's a good question because to start our work when we began, um, my specific student team started in 2019 and we were at that point kind of going back to the drawing board. We had working groups of, um, of individuals from the food system in Maine gathered around tables, about 45, um, participants and asked them what areas of food waste that we really needed to address. And it was through those working sessions that we happened to have um, a nutrition director uh, from the state, you know, talking about the issues with uh, school food waste. And so that's really where we started. And as we got more involved, I think our first efforts were just to do an education only type of program in the school. So we worked with it was um, related to the science curriculum, a garden educator who took on and we had developed curriculum for that. But at the end of the year, we could see, I mean, and the feedback from uh, the school was that without a solution in the cafeteria, it the education only effort, you know, could not really be as successful. So this last year, spring 2023, well, I guess we started actually in the fall of 22, working with nutrition directors to include the cafeteria in our food waste work. And so we were able to field the first ever Maine school cafeteria food waste study. Um, and Was those, that the Orno Public School District? Was that the 
uh, we actually had four pilot school districts. Um, we wanted to get a variety of sizes and a variety of locations. Do you want me to give you the exact? Oh, no, that's all, that's all right. I was just, I, I think I'd read an article somewhere that that was it. So yeah, I mean, Asa, Adams, Asa Adams in Orna was one of them because that would make it convenient for the students to actually get to that campus and do their work there. Um, but we had three other locations throughout the state. So you got you got some buy-in from the food service directors then. So you, so then you did some studies. What what did the studies uh, show basically? Well, we started. It was the Department of Education, and it was the woman who's the head of the nutrition program for the, the main Department of Education. She put the call out. She was very interested in trying to reduce food waste, and obviously, since they're nutrition directors, improve student nutrition at the same time. Because as we discussed with her, you could serve chicken nuggets and Oreo cookies probably every day, and you might reduce the food waste. But no that's doubt. not really that's not really the goal, solely that. So we we had both those twin objectives. Uh, we put the call out to schools that would want to participate, got a variety of um, high schools, middle schools, and elementary schools. And in the end, we decided to focus, everyone actually agreed that with limited resources, we'd be best focused against the elementary schools because they could then carry the good practices forward. So, and then also given the time that we were working in, labor in the kitchen, labor at the schools was very difficult and already challenged with enough tasks. So we tried to make our study focused on the students. It was in cafeteria food waste. And the interventions that we developed were all really interventions that we could develop and bring to the school so that we wouldn't have to have them do too much. The only part that we asked the schools for their participation was we had to make sure that all of the schools involved had choice in their fruits and vegetables, well, I guess choice in their whole program. So it couldn't be as, it, you know, in the offer versus serve um, terminology, you know, everybody had to have an offer program. Um, in addition, we asked that they not use single serve, you know, serving ware. So, you know, reusable trays, plates, silverware. And in cases where they didn't have them, we actually were able to get grant funding to get them moved over because we knew that that would also be important. So that's the, and we said that they needed to dedicate school-wide 15 minutes for us to do an assembly at some point in the program. So with that agreement, we were able to institute over an eight-week study, key interventions like you know, bringing in education. Well, first of all, food waste sorting. So sorting stations. One of our schools had a sorting station already, um, but we actually gave them the materials and the training to, to actually operate them in a way that kids from kindergarten through fifth grade could actually understand and follow on their own. And so that was probably the very first step was to establish the sorting stations. And the other critical element was to put a share basket in every cafeteria that we worked in. Um, in addition to that, we did a 15-minute assembly where we talked to the schools, uh, the, to the students, every student in the school, about food waste and explained to them in, in terms that they could understand the problem with food waste and how they could be part of the solution. But an equally important part of that 15-minute assembly, which we learned from the schools actually gave us this input. They said, 
there's a lot of confusion and a lot of waste caused by purely the fact that people are not clear. Students, faculty, maybe even the kitchen staff are not clear about what is a meal. How much food does actually need to be taken by a student? So does milk actually need to be part of a meal? And there was so much confusion around that that we probably dedicated at least, you know, half of that 15 minutes to just talking about what makes up a meal. And based on those two elements, there was tremendous engagement, but school-wide, not just by the students, but about everybody was interested in learning about food waste and in learning about what was a child really expected to eat um, at the lunch hour. And so we saw tremendous results um, from the program. We had signage, we had some supplemental curriculum, we also, at the end, did a poster contest for every student um, to enter to share what they had learned. So we were able to see what was gained. We did some qualitative um, surveys with the families to understand the impact on the families um, in terms of food waste education and food waste practices. Tremendous. I love the fact that the kids were engaged in you know, sharing what they learned through posters and that kind of thing. Did you gather any after the, after you were done, was, was there data and evidence of how much uh, food was wasted? Um, yes. The time so they- what we were able to see over the course of the study, and we used the first week before we had done any education, before we had done any sort of work in the school, we took that first week of um, food waste measuring measurements and used that as our baseline. And then we compared that, you know, every other week to that. And by the end of the eight weeks, um, we were able to see on average about 20% um, were the, was the level of food waste reduction. But I told you that another objective was also to see, to, to sort of encourage students to eat more nutritiously, which really translated into eating that half cup of fruits or vegetables that they might have been throwing away prior to the study. And we actually saw, we did a food waste audit one week prior to the study and one week after the study. And we saw the rate of disposal of fruits and vegetables reduce anywhere from 25% to 64%. So it was very dramatic, the impact on fruits and vegetables and, you know, the reduction in that waste, which, you know, fruits and vegetables are also probably the most expensive part of that meal tray. So it was a, a cost issue. It was a health and nutrition issue. And of course, there's the you know climate impact also of food waste. So we were able to, with the study, and you know our our partners at the schools really cautioned us or you know sort of advised us that you know eight weeks is not really a long time to see change in a school. You know to get students used to figuring out how to separate and to make sure that they are actually putting all the food scraps in where the food scraps go. So we think that those results were actually conservative in terms of what could really be done over the course of a year, since we were only able to track for eight weeks. But like I said, so 20% reduction overall, and then even a more dramatic 25 to 64% reduction in the, in the waste of fruits and vegetables. It's just tremendous. And and I would say alongside that, you know, we did those surveys pre and post with families and the engagement by the family, the responses that we got to those surveys, I would say that, first of all, we got a pretty high response rate, um, 20 to 30 percent, which is very good for a survey like that. And of the responses, I would say 99 percent of them 
were enthusiastic, like just general comments about how excited they were to see this kind of teaching going on in the school, you know, things that they had tried, um, and that just they were impressed that the school was making an effort to cut waste. Absolutely. Did your uh, share basket include temperature controlled for safety items? Yes. Yep. Yeah. We worked with um, part of the, what we gave to the schools. I mean, of course, I'm just shortcutting all this. There was a tremendous amount of materials created and work, but we worked with the health department um, to because they had already issued guidance for all the schools about the use of share baskets. The interesting thing was that even though they had issued it and shared it, and I think there was even legislation around the use of share baskets encouraging all schools, there was a lot of confusion in the school cafeteria about whether share baskets were actually allowed. So I would say that maybe 50% of the schools we talked to thought they were illegal, and then the other 50% were actively using them. That was that kind of a split. So it was very important that we brought in the specific, we actually printed up the guidelines from the health department around the use of share baskets and made that a refrigerator cling that could go in the kitchens um, in all the school cafeterias, as well as provided signage for the share basket. Um, so yeah, so we had to support them in that effort. Did your uh, data collection include, you know, an average of how many bat items go in that share basket on an average each day in each school? Or is there like a rough estimate, even if you don't have the exact numbers? Or? Well, no, because, the, you know, what we, it's a very good question and a very good point. And, you know, but having been at the schools through the lunch hours and seeing the use of the share baskets, we actually couldn't measure it because in most cases, by the end of the lunch period, the share basket would be empty because the food that went into it was then taken by other students. Um, yeah, that data is not data you can get when there's a share table. You can't get it just by looking what's there at the end of the day. It actually would no. have to be somebody saying in, out, in, out. It's a whole plus minus game. Yes, so. yes. I mean, you'd actually it'd have to be a moving number. And so and that's tough. Yeah. Yes, it was very difficult. And I think, you know, we felt in the end that we could see for sure that the share basket was a super effective uh, because we even had cases where despite knowing that the health department was very good with it and had issued guidelines around it, knowing that the school, that the state, the legislature had actually encouraged it, there was still some reluctance um, in some kitchens to be collecting, to allow that food to go into the share basket. But seeing it in practice and seeing how readily kids took or asked for that food in the share basket, to wanting to take it home because they were hungry after school, and could they actually take it and bring it home with them? Could they actually bring that food for their siblings for after school? I think that in practice, you know, it's just, um, it's sort of gives off a life of its own, the share basket. You you see it just, you know, and so measuring the value of what goes into it, it's clear that in the waste reduction, the share basket had a tremendous impact. But really the fact was that food was not going to waste because it was going to where it was needed instead of going into the trash. That's oh, so true. And, you know, I, I do a lot of these interviews and we've had 27 million food items entered into our online tracking tool. So we have a fair amount of data. And one of the things that I, I tell people is look, data is very hard to 
get simply because of some of those things that you described there. Mm-hmm. But I talk about prorated data a lot, much like the Nielsen ratings will select 15 families, you know, and re- reflect, you know, mm-hmm. what thousands of people are doing. Right. I say, I say, you know, if you can get one school one day where you watch that share table on a plus minus, it's a fair representation of what happens one day. It might be a little more, a little less than one day, mm-hmm. but sometimes just getting one day worth of data can prorate what it's actually like over an eight school thing. So, I, yes. I don't know if, you, if, if any time you could get one of those schools to just do that one day to check that in out thing, but it's it's kind of augmented data that's nice to have. Yeah, no, I think it is possible. I think, um, you know, it was just there weren't enough resources of people, of bodies to be measuring the different things enough with just that's... getting the, getting all the stations set up and getting people to understand what goes in the different things. But But definitely it would be interesting. And what was, I guess, even more interesting is we did have data about what could go into a share basket because at one of our schools, they were actually collecting before we started the program. And one of the reasons they wanted to do a program was their fourth and fifth grade students every day would bring a cooler to the lunchroom because the students themselves came up with this idea because they couldn't stand all this regular food, totally good and edible, just being dumped in the trash. So they would bring a cooler so that the milks and other packaged foods could be collected and then brought out as snacks for the different classrooms after lunch. So actually, it's a good point. That data would probably exist because they had been collecting food at that school. Yep. Well, Suzanne, I'm so appreciative that you came on with us today to share your story about what's going on in Maine. And what, what advice might you have for people that are interested in approaching their schools about providing school food waste solutions, you know, or perhaps prior to providing solutions, just forging a pathway to identify the problem through a study of some sort? Well, I think that, you know, we, as we, as I mentioned, we did start by working in the classroom and then, um, you know, but really, I think that the cafeteria and getting the nutrition director on board who should have a natural interest in it because it's their staff that's busily making all this food and disheartening to see it being thrown away. So I think they're a natural ally. And if you can get a teacher and, you know, a nutrition director, which we had at almost all the schools, there was a passionate teacher of a certain grade and the the um, nutrition director, I mean, that's really the key to being successful. And and I would say in the end, you know, by the work of these four schools, we now, the governor just um, approved a proclamation for our state, the Maine Food Waste Awareness Week, to coincide with the beginning of the school year. So this week, September 25th to 29th, will be our first Main Food Waste Awareness Week, and we will leverage that across all the schools, reminding them that that is an excellent time for them to try something with any one of our tools. Use any one of the interventions. Just use a share basket if that's all you can do. Just try separating out your food waste if that's all you can do. The 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 awareness of kids seeing food in the trash and how much they're throwing away and being sort of face to face with it and having a conversation that alone can change behavior. So I would say that, you know, these things work together, but that's the success that we've seen. And I would definitely encourage others to take action. Such great advice. Um, If anyone's interested in learning more about uh, your work in Maine through this very important research, um, how could they reach out to you? Is there any way they could? Yes, sure. I mean, you can go to our website, which is umaine.edu forward slash food rescue Maine. 
And you can see all the different types of work that we're doing, including the school project. And there are contact pages throughout the website that whatever topic you're interested in and want more information, you just complete it and we get back to you. Perfect. Well, Suzanne, thank you again for joining us on the K-12 Food Rescue Podcast. And thanks for providing school food solutions in Maine and sharing them with our audience today. And I hope you have a great day. Okay. Thank you. You all too. Bye-bye.